0: Welcome to Commuting the Cosmos, I'm your host Samuel Hinton, and in this episode let's talk about some crazy tech, propulsion systems. In the last episode we talked about some crazy conspiracy theories, so I thought it would be good to bring things back to something a bit more grounded in reality, and what can be more grounded in reality than actual tech that we use for space travel. And when I say propulsion systems, most people are going to think of rockets. They might imagine the space shuttle taking off with all the, the smoke, the the water vapor, the gas coming out, and think, oh, what a brilliant sight. But how many people actually know the difference? What, what are those two things on the side? What is the giant orange tank? What's inside them? How do they work? And how efficient are they really? And in this episode, hopefully I'll answer at least two of those questions. So apart from talking about chemical rockets, we'll also touch on some other fun things like ion drives, and some more experimental propulsion systems which may or may not be quite ready to go just yet. But they'll be fun, I promise. Alright, so let's jump into it. First things first, chemical rockets. You know, rockets. Burn stuff, make a lot of hot gas, and point it at wherever you don't want to go, and you're away. There's a few different varieties, two that you might be familiar with are solid rockets and obviously liquid rockets. Solid rockets, if you think back to the space shuttle, you know it had those two boosters on the side, those are solid rocket boosters, and they're pretty much the best example of solid rockets that we have at the moment. That's pretty old school, but they're very effective. And you may not realize quite how big they are. They're 45 meters tall. That's a 15-story building. They weigh over 1,000 tons each, and they produce around 14 mega newtons of thrust, so 14 million newtons of thrust, which is a lot. They burn over 9 tons of fuel a second, and they're one of the components of the space shuttle that are refurbished and reused because they're just too good to throw away. Now, most of the time when people think about solid rockets, you're burning something, but what is it that you're burning that's solid? It's obviously not wood. In the case of the solid rocket boosters, what you're burning is ammonium perchlorate, that's the oxidizer, and aluminium powder, which is the fuel. Aluminium burns pretty good. And in addition to the amount of thrust that the solid rocket boosters produce, the other number you should keep a track of is something called its specific impulse. The solid rocket boosters have a specific impulse of 242 seconds and that's an odd unit given that we're talking about things like thrust right so in terms of seconds what does that mean well specific impulse is a measure of how effectively you can turn mass that is your fuel into momentum it's defined by the change in momentum per unit of propellant so if we use mass we get out units of meters per second so a velocity But if we instead use weight, which is a force, we get out units of seconds. So 242 seconds, that's a starting benchmark, and if we could for example create more efficient solid rocket boosters, so those that get you more momentum for the same amount of fuel, that number would go up. Which makes it simple, the higher the number, the better. And let's be very clear here, it does not mean that the solid rocket boosters burn for 242 seconds. So that's solid rocket boosters, very quickly. Liquid rocket boosters, they're pretty much the same as solid. They work the same. You burn stuff, it catches fire, makes gas, it comes out one end. The difference is obviously the fuel is now liquid. If you've seen the space shuttle, you know that it has a giant orange tank on the back. This orange tank is filled to the brim with the hopes and dreams of NASA scientists, with also a bit of hydrogen and a bit of oxygen. Let's actually take a a brief aside and talk about this tank for a second, because it's changed a lot over the years. Every kilogram lighter that you can make the tank is one more kilogram of stuff that you can put inside the space shuttle and carry to space. The very first design of the standard weight tank was actually white, not orange, and it weighed 35 tons. They figured out that if they just remove the paint because why do you need it the tank burns up when it comes back. Well you can save some weight, which is good. You also remove the stringers, those are the structural stiffeners, you increase the milling and you replace the original titanium alloy with one that's a bit better, and you can get down to the lightweight tank. The original one was around 35 tons, and the lightweight one is 30 tons, that's 5,000 kilograms of extra stuff you can now take into space. You can do better though, you can say, hey who needs titanium, you can replace a large part of it with aluminium lithium alloys, and well, you get down to 26.5 tons. From the original weight tank of 35 tons, we've saved almost 10,000 kilograms, which is amazing given that it's just a tank, there's not too much you can take out of a tank before it starts to go wrong, and somehow they found 10 tons. Anyway. That aside is now done, let's talk back about the liquid rockets. Fun fact about the space shuttle, it actually has 3 liquid rockets. It has 3 Aerojet Rocketdyne RS-25s mounted on the back and they are the most efficient liquid rockets in existence. Each one of them produces around 2 million newtons of thrust at liftoff, and the space shuttle has 3 of them, so you almost get 6 million newtons of thrust from those alone. You'll notice that's not as much as you get from the solid rocket boosters, but that's alright, because the specific impulse of these liquid rocket engines is 452 seconds so contrast that with the what was it 242 from before and you'll see that the numbers almost double which means it's twice as efficient as turning its fuel into the space shuttle's momentum and you'll also notice that because it has a higher number it probably burns for longer than the solid rocket boosters the reason the solid rocket boosters have a low number is because they produce a huge amount of thrust but they go through their fuel very quickly because the liquid rocket engines are more efficient, they don't go through as much fuel to get that same amount of thrust, and they produce less thrust anyway. And that's why the solid rocket boosters will separate first, and that big orange tank that fuels the liquid rocket engines on the space shuttle doesn't detach at the same point, it detaches much later, much higher, and that's why it disintegrates when it comes back to Earth. The, the big orange fuel tank I'm talking about, not the shuttle. Hopefully. So congratulations, we have now done solid rocket boosters and liquid rockets so we've essentially covered all forms of rocketry that you've probably seen on the TV. But we're only just getting started because that's the boring stuff. The real stuff, the cool stuff, the stuff that I like the most, that would probably have to be ion drives, also known as ion thrusters or ion engines depending on how pedantic you really want to be. And they work not by burning things but instead by using the magic of electricity to generate an electric or a magnetic field, and then throwing charged particles through that field, and watching with astonishment as they zip out the end at frankly ludicrous speeds. The hint for this should be in the name, right? It's an ion thruster, so it uses ions. What you do is you take the atoms, you strip them of as many electrons as you can so that they have a strong positive charge, And once you have this cloud of positive ions, you use electricity to create the field, and the fact that they're charged already, and the fact that electromagnetism is an incredibly strong force essentially does the rest for you. There's a few notable variants of ion drives. One of them is called NEXT, which is NASA's Evolutionary Xenon Thruster, N-E-X-T, and it's a sort of gridded electrostatic ion thruster, which is a bunch of words which probably don't mean much. So what they do is they take xenon, they bombard it with electrons to ionize it, and then they have a set of grids, which is just a metal mesh, right? One which is positive and the other negative, negative. and by that I mean they have a voltage difference applied across them and that creates an electric field that the ions will obviously react to. When the ions slip between the grid, the potential difference between the two meshes accelerates the ions out the back. To stop the positive ions trying to return to the negative grid that they just accelerated past, which would pull the spacecraft back, which, you know, that's not very good for efficiency, they also eject electrons off to the side, they have a cathode off to the side, that neutralizes the charged particles coming out the back. And that also stops the entire ship, or the entire craft, I should say, from accumulating a negative charge because it's not just emitting all these positive things. Now... The reason you don't see ion drives, for example, when you look at the space shuttle or the Falcon rockets or any other sort of rocket you're used to is because they don't produce much thrust. NEXT produces 200 millinewtons of thrust, less than one newton of thrust. That is not much thrust. However, it has a specific impulse of around 4200. So remember, the most efficient liquid rockets in existence have a specific impulse of 452 seconds. And this is almost 10 times that. Even though you don't get much thrust, you can fire these ion drives for a very long amount of time because they're so efficient at using their fuel. And that means they're not good for accelerating out of a steep gravitational potential, like Earth, but if you have something that's been put in space, for example by the space shuttle, You can then use an ion drive to make that go wherever you want because it doesn't have to overcome these large gradients. Now there are a whole bunch of different sorts of ion drives and I don't have time or the inclination to talk about all of them. So here's just one more that I like, which is called FEEP. The Field Emission Electric Propulsion System. Is there an S at the end? I'm not quite sure. It's called FEEP, right? It's an electrostatic ion thruster, and instead of using xenon, it uses cesium or indium as a propellant. And that's because they're they're metals, so they're heavy, they melt at low temperature, and they're easy to ionize, which just means you can take the outer electrons away, and they don't really have... Well, they can't stop you, right? You can take the electrons, they can deal with it. The way that it works is there's an emitter and an accelerator electrode, and you create a voltage difference around 10,000 volts across the two. And just like with the mesh, this voltage difference creates a super strong electric force between the two, and that causes the metal to accelerate rapidly out, out the back. This produces less than one millinewton of thrust. So next, the one I I just talked about, had 200 millinewtons of thrust, and that's not much. This produces less than one, so it's absolutely tiny. However, its specific impulse is up to and potentially exceeding 10,000 right which is a really big number so this is incredibly efficient and the goal here is to get something that can burn or, or fire I should say for a very long time like not hours or, or or days but weeks or months or maybe even years so there are a bunch of different ways that people are trying to realize this goal to Produce as much thrust as you can with the highest possible specific impulse. You can look at other designs like DS4G or Vasimir, but there's no time to talk about all of them. The takeaway though is that at the moment, the engines produce very small amounts of thrust, so they're only useful once you're in space, but you can fire them for very, very long times and build up a huge change in velocity, even if it takes you a couple of weeks to do so. Space travel takes a long time if you're trying to go anywhere that isn't just outside Earth. So the fact that it takes a while doesn't really matter. It's just how much can you change your velocity. All right, so let's get a little bit more adventurous now. Let's talk about pirates or sailing, solar sails, right? So quick fact, light has momentum. It doesn't have mass, but it has momentum. Look up uh, radiation pressure if you don't believe me there's a great wiki article on it. What you'll notice is that when you step outside into the sun, though, you don't feel like the sun is pushing you back. It might feel hot and you might feel like the sun is smacking you in the face, but there's no real oomph behind that pressure. So light has momentum, you know, but it doesn't have much. The sun gives around 1400 watts per meter squared, that's in just solar energy, at the distance of the earth. To get that in terms of momentum, you need to divide that by the speed of light, which is a very big number, so you get around 4.5 micronewtons per meter squared, which isn't much. You can actually double this, right? Instead of just absorbing the light that hits you, you can hold up a mirror and bounce it back towards the sun, and then you're doubling the amount of thrust you get because you're know you sending the light packing, and that will give you 9 micronewtons per meter squared, which is still an absolutely ridiculously small amount. And it only pushes in one way, which is away from the sun. But what if we could make something that is very light and has a huge surface area and we want to go away from the sun? So something that's light and large surface area and sounds like a sail, right? So what if we could somehow make an 800 meter by 800 meter in size giant rectangle? You'd get around 5 newtons of thrust. Which, which is more than the ion drives we were talking about before, so that's pretty cool. You could even try and control some of this thrust by reflecting the light at different angles by rotating the sails. Uh, you know, we can sail ships on Earth in directions other than exactly where the breeze is going, so we've already figured this one out. Current proposals have the sail as something like an aluminium coating, to make it reflective, on a plastic sheet like Captain film, and you try and get this as thin as you can, so around 2 micrometers thick is one of the proposals, which is very, very thin. The best thing about this is there's no propellant, so long as the sail and the mechanisms that angle it don't fail, you don't have to stop, you can keep going forever, continually zipping for example between Earth and Mars. For something like an 800 meter by 800 meter sail with a, a 2 ton payload, so that's with 5 newtons of thrust, 2 tons to drag along, it would only take about 400 days to get to Mars, and that includes the time where you spend air braking in the Martian atmosphere. If you instead just dropped something into the Martian atmosphere, and then just zipped all the way back to Earth to pick up something else, the round trip time would be vastly reduced. So that's that's really cool. And another interesting application for this is... What if you want something that can't fail, so you don't have to angle the sails, you just point it and you go? Well, let's say you want to visit Alpha Centauri or you want a robot to do it for you because space is lonely and cold. Well, you get your robot, make it as light as possible, get a big sail and then just let go of it such that the robot is between the sun and Alpha Centauri and the sun will just push your little robot all the way to Alpha Centauri. Alpha Centauri will eventually start, you know, slowing it down, but it's a good way of getting something a long distance without having to put any sort of active rocket system on it. Which is pretty cool. But let's say we want to... Well, let's just say we're not happy with the sun. The sun is bright, but ah, well, we can make brighter things. So let's add to the sun, let's add on lasers. Right, We can make very powerful lasers and unlike the sun which has this annoying habit of spreading its light in all directions, a laser pretty much goes in one direction wherever you point. So you could also combine solar sails with lasers from earth that are used to either direct or accelerate the sails initially. The downside to this is obviously that light doesn't have much momentum. You would need to burn a lot of energy to get those things to move. Right. You need to take how much momentum you want and then times it by C, which is 300 million. That's a lot of joules you'll be burning just to make these things twitch. But if we can figure out nuclear fusion, if we can find some sort of fantastic energy device, why not? Let's just do it. One of the final proposals I think we should talk about, because it was actually suggested in not quite a tongue-in-cheek manner, like someone thought seriously about this, was using nuclear bombs. Of course, right, the idea was you could essentially, by detonating multiple nuclear bombs in sequence, ride the shockwave and nuclear blast as a form of propulsion. So this was proposed back in the 60s. Obviously not very seriously, right? No one was quite that crazy then. Because even back then with everyone, you know, doing this research on, on nuclear systems, we knew about radioactive plumes and clouds and the fact that you would essentially ruin the country where the single rocket launch was frowned upon. So that never went anywhere and there's a bunch of other interesting things uh, that might theoretically be possible but might not be. I really wanted to talk about something called the Alcubierre drive which is a sort of warp drive which mathematically makes sense. With one proviso you need negative energy. You can use energy to compress space Uh, That's the general theory of relativity. That's how gravity works. uh, Energy and mass manipulate space. They, they, yeah, that's pretty much it, right? But what the Alcubierre drive needs is something that doesn't just make space contract, so to speak, but also expand. And so you need positive and negative energy, which another way of saying that is you need positive mass and negative mass. And as far as we know, negative mass just isn't a thing. We would love for it to be a thing because then we can build some crazy stuff. But unless it is a thing and we just haven't found it, a bunch of our fun theories about how to make warp drives and wormholes just will never work. So keep an eye out for negative mass, let's hope it happens, but don't hold your breath. Oh, and I see we are rapidly approaching the 20 minute mark, so I'm going to cut that off there. No more interesting science for you. I'll try and talk about some other cool stuff in the next couple of episodes, but for propulsion systems, that's just going to have to do it so if you still have any further questions or you've heard of some weird or crazy system out there i haven't touched upon just send me an email uh what was it Commuting the cosmos at gmail.com it should be that and i'll just get back to you in person or i'll talk about it on here at some point don't be afraid to get in touch and in three two one we're done thanks for joining come along next time